Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Have you been caught up in the cryptocurrency crash. Over the past two weeks, the crypto industry has been shaken by a $40 billion wipeout, with many so-called stable coins proving themselves to be anything but. The downturn began with Terra and Luna, a linked set of digital tokens popular with crypto traders, but since then the fallout has spread. Bitcoin's value has now collapsed by more than half since its highs last year, Dogecoin by almost 90%. Millions of people around the world have lost money. Some have lost everything. Uh, yeah, the, the initial days uh, uh, was very disturbing. It's like I couldn't sleep. I, uh, all I could think about was the crash and my portfolio going down, etc. Even those who are holding crypto as part of a wider, more diversified investment portfolio worry that this crash is different. I'm just going to hold on for dear life. You know, I, I want to keep an eye open and, and see if it's actually going to bounce or if it's, you know, the bubble that's beginning to burst. Welcome to Money Clinic, the weekly podcast from the Financial Times about personal finance and investment. I'm Claire Barrett, the FT's consumer editor. In this episode, I'll be talking to experts about what caused the crypto crash, what makes it different from previous ones, and what the future could hold for crypto as an asset class. Plus, we ask if financial regulators around the world should be doing more to try to protect consumers and reveal what you can do to protect yourselves. The past few weeks have been a terrifying time for young crypto investors. Many thought that investing in cryptocurrencies was a route to get rich quick. Instead, they've ended up flat broke. Yeah, it was was to see uh, my portfolio come down to almost nothing. It was uh, very devastating. I couldn't think of what to do at that point of time because I had a lot of plans uh, about, you know, how I can spend this money. I have some uh, liabilities, etc. That's Sabaya, a 29-year-old IT worker in Bangalore in India. He was investing his monthly salary in cryptocurrencies. He was even borrowing on his credit card to invest. At their height, his crypto investments were worth 7,000 US dollars. He doubled his money and was making enough to cover his rent. Fast forward to today, and his crypto wallet is worth a mere fraction of that. Well, it's a couple of hundred uh, dollars, like 150 or $200, I would say. It all started out well enough. Sabaya got into crypto investing only last year. 
His friends were all talking about it, which got him interested. He watched online tutorials. He bought Ethereum and Bitcoin. Things were looking good. Crypto, he thought, could change his life. That's right. So when, when I started uh, the money growing like rapidly in the beginning, like when my investment was up 10%, 20%, when I was checking every alternate day, I thought uh, this, this is where you know I can mm, get some financial freedom and quit my day job and make money easily. So I did have thoughts about you know quitting my job and uh, do day trading permanently. Encouraged by what he was hearing on YouTube and other online platforms, Sabaya decided to switch all of his crypto investments entirely into a token called Luna, supposedly the more stable of cryptocurrencies. You know, the one that's really tanked in the past couple of weeks. More on that in just a moment. When did you first realise that something was, was badly wrong? Well, uh, so, I mean, before the major crash, which happened like when uh, it went to complete zero. So one week prior to that, I think the coin dropped like 30%. But uh, mm. 30% drop is kind of usual in crypto space. So I was not worried at that point of time. But then next day when I saw again, it was down like 10 or 15%. Then I started to think what's happening with this coin. Why Why only Terra Luna is going down every day? And I mean, did yeah. you try and sell at any point? Well, I did not. I still had some hopes thinking uh, this is for a short time. It will come back up when it bounces. It will really bounce hard. That bounce never came, of course. Sabaya went on online forums to try and figure out what was going on. That's when I got to know, you know, it's it's not just me. There are a lot of other people who have lost everything. And also there, there were some posts talking about suicides, etc. That's when I was like, OK, what's happened has happened. I can't do anything at this point of time. How is that going to affect your day-to-day life going forward? What aren't you going to be able to, to do as a result of this crash? Well, it will definitely uh, affect my lifestyle or uh, some of the decisions that I make, for example, uh, if I think of going to some place, uh, probably I'll have to think twice if I have to take a, a train or, or if I can go by flight. So, yeah, uh, in, in many ways, I think it will affect my day-to-day lifestyle, I would say. Sabaya, as you can tell, is pretty resigned to his losses. He says he's not talking about it to his family and friends understandable really it's hard to talk about how something you really believed in that you literally bet all of your savings on turned out to be a pipe dream maybe it's my mistake i never thought uh, i mean i never thought about the downside of it like going everything to zero mm. and but i mean were you aware that cryptocurrency is unregulated you know you just don't have the same consumer rights if something goes wrong as you would do with a more mainstream investment products yeah i was aware of the fact that it's not regulated but uh it it was my uh decision to take that risk and invest sure now we've got some really good experts who are going to come on the podcast to talk to me about this what questions would you like to ask the podcast experts uh, well, if I get a chance, I would ask them about, uh, you know, how people can be warned about such mm, events, like some sort of, mm, I would say, knowledge, some some sort of mainstream attention to this issue, 
like a program in TV so that everyone is aware, not just by someone's word, word in YouTube, but but if it goes mainstream, saying there are risks, things of this nature uh, will happen. Like everything goes down to zero someday. And also, I would like to ask them about some sort of regulation. Basically, I think it's some sort of regulation is needed. It's it's always small and medium scale investors who are in trouble. So for them, there needs to be some sort of program or some uh, clarity, saying you know how they can be safe in such events. So is there a way to be safe as a crypto investor? We've brought two experts into the FC studio here in London to discuss that very question. But before I introduce them, goes without saying, they're giving their opinions about crypto in this podcast. It's absolutely not intended as individual financial advice. So would you like to introduce yourself to our podcast listeners? Uh, yes, yeah, so I am Scott Cipollina. I am the digital assets correspondent here at the FT, which essentially means I cover crypto uh, basically full time. A busy man at the moment. Definitely. <laughs> and our second expert today. Indeed. My name is Elon Solat, and I work for a crypto multi-strategy fund. We focus mostly on venture capital, but we are involved in just about any part of the space. So, Scott, for the benefit of podcast listeners who may or may not be invested in crypto, can you just give us a helicopter view of what on earth has happened in the crypto world in the last couple of weeks? The reason why this crypto crash has been so painful and so, you know, has been so dominant in terms of news coverage is because um, this this stablecoin, which the, the clue is in the phrase stablecoin, it's meant to be a cryptocurrency mm-hmm. that is stable, pegged to the dollar, lost its peg to the dollar. So I'm talking about something called TerraUSD. Um, it has a sister cryptocurrency token, which is called Luna. Um, and TerraUSD, as I said, it, 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 it lost its peg to the dollar. It, it crashed. It fell to a, about 15 cents, I think, at one point. Um, and Luna, the cryptocurrency that sort of exists in this crypto ecosystem, uh, has fallen to zero. It, it's essentially worthless. Um, and a lot of folks had put a lot of their money, um, far more than they could have afforded to lose, in Luna. So while there's been you know, a, a particular pain point with regard to TerraUSD and, and Luna, this has been a broader crypto crash that has involved some of the biggest cryptocurrencies as well. Ilan, what do you make of, of Sabaya's situation? Yeah, so I mean, the, I think the, the way the listener put it in the questions makes a lot of sense and in, in that he's just wondering if if we should be better warned or had regulation or something to prevent this from happening and and uh, to my opinion this comes down largely to a question of financial education which mm. I think many institutions uh, governments and schools and even families they just lack a way to prepare people young people specifically into to a financial world and when they're offered situations with high leverage for example or or um, as you said, People on YouTube, which they admire, who tell you, this is great. You learn 20% on this and is no risk. It's paid to the dollar. And it turns out it's not. It's, again, comes down a lot to understanding what financial education's, the pillars that are there. And for example, never making outsized bets with your entire portfolio in a single asset. Yeah. And the horrible thing for Sabaya is not only has he lost all of the money in his crypto wallet, he's also still got to pay back thousands of dollars to his credit card company because he, he, he bought some of that on borrowed money. Well, I mean, your comments about financial education, I mean, even the chair of the Financial Conduct Authority in the UK, he did a speech last week where he touched on how we might regulate crypto. 
in the future. And he mentioned he'd gone into a school in East London and had spoken to a group of 13-year-olds who were all very, very interested in, in crypto and investing in different coins. And he commented that as much as he tried to educate them about the risks of crypto, the hope of getting rich was stronger than any facts or rational argument um, that he could give them to the to the contrary. I mean, Scott, this is a, a really big problem. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I think that there is a much greater need um, not only to educate consumers and to, to ensure that they're acutely aware of the risks involved in crypto, but also to hold the crypto industry itself to account as well. And I think what, what this really um, comes down to as well is the important role that the exchanges play in this situation. So the Coinbase's, the Binance's, uh, FTX, these are all, you know, very popular crypto exchanges that people can can go on and make their crypto investments. Um, they have a really vital gatekeeping role, I'd say. Where mm-hmm. If you look at the world of traditional finance, whenever something is listed on an exchange, there's all sorts of regulatory loopholes and, and standards that need to be achieved before something can be uh, traded and invested in. And that, I think, needs to be the case in the crypto industry more so than it currently is. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that are available to everyday consumers that, frankly, it seems are just, you know, simply not suitable to these kinds of retail investors. And that is a problem that we've seen come to the fore tragically over the last few weeks. Mm, I mean, and there are high-risk products that investors in the UK can access, like spread betting, mm-hmm. um, for example, th- doing these kinds of online day trades. And they have to have huge warnings mm-hmm. on their website saying, you know, in some cases, 75% of people who advance money on this website will lose money. I mean, do you think, Ilan, we need something of, of that order? My job is to manage risk for clients, and I take responsibility for that. But in these platforms, nobody's managing any risk. They're just facilitating your money to go into this place that yields 20% and the onus is on the consumer to figure this out. And that's, I think, even more complicated than exchanges because I think in exchanges, we have a very good surface of contact with regulators and the board, we can communicate, but a website that pops... And again, as you said, it's not just crypto. This is general financial investments online, mm-hmm. you know, casinos online, everything. Websites just pop up and say, here, you can put 20% and good luck. Now, bit of a big question uh, for the Money Clinic podcast, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Why do you think we don't have any kind of regulation for crypto already? Because it's such a huge part of the investment space. Well, my um, view or assessment of that situation, at least here in the UK, is that, you know, regulators, particularly the the FCA, the ASA as well, which is the Advertising Standards Authority, Mm. you know, they govern advertising standards. Those adverts on the tube saying, it's time to buy crypto now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, they, at the forefront of their minds should be consumer protection. But I think one of the reasons why the crypto industry hasn't been more robustly regulated is because it's still a particularly young and nascent industry. And I think a lot of regulators are still trying to get their head around what actually entails regulating this industry, what, what, what the FCA should be doing, what, the, what other organizations like the ASA should be doing. Um, but again, you know, I think it's stories like this are just, this is why people are so angry that, that there's so many risks that people just aren't aware of. I mean, one, one tragic little um, bit, of, bit of news coming out of the whole terror situation is that there's a, there's a bridge in Seoul uh, the Terra ecosystem is sort of based in, in South Korea, it's come out of South Korea, uh, and there's a bridge called the Mapo Bridge, which is sort of 
well known, uh, if that you know, for want of a better phrase, as a, a, a hotspot for suicides. And the police have actually, you know, added their you know more boots on the ground to make sure that they're you know really keeping a close eye on this area. Um, and that sort of underpins you know what's at stake here. People can be told do your own research. They they can look at a lot of folks on YouTube saying you know this is the next Bitcoin, this is the next Ethereum. But again, all of that is unregulated, and there's no there's no there's no robust protection for consumers yet. But you know, hopefully, a situation like this will will spur regulators on to making sure that changes. It's been a hellish couple of weeks in crypto markets, but not all investors are ready to cash out. I caught up with Money Clinic podcast listener Dan in London. He's in his mid thirties and works in finance. Crypto makes up about twelve to fifteen percent of his investment portfolio or at least it did before the crash. At its peak, the value of Dan's crypto investments stood at about £11,000. How about today? When it's hit bottom, it's hit around 3600 So, So today it's worth around 3600 Yeah, last time I checked, it's somewhere there. Maybe even less than that, a little over 50% it's gone down as it stands. It's always good to, you know, always, always invest where you can afford to lose I wouldn't call it invest, maybe gambling with crypto. <laughs> that, that's interesting that even you would call it gambling. I mean, you're a guy who's used to investing. What what makes the difference? Well, um, to be honest, I'm not well versed when it comes to all the technical parts of crypto. I've seen so many people, you know, make a lot of money with crypto uh, without even knowing that much. And I decided to give it a shot, obviously being very careful how much I'm willing to, you know, put on the table. But yeah, I went ahead with it. And with gambling, the rule of thumb, of course, is never bet more than you can afford to lose. Now, exactly. Has it been the same for you with crypto? Yeah, that's it. That's the deal. Crypto wasn't 34-year-old Dan's first investment. He already has a stocks and shares ISA, plus cash savings that he can access in an emergency. The big question for Dan now is... Should he keep hold of those crypto investments in his portfolio or get out? As of now, I think I'm part of the HODL group, the hold on for dear life. At least that's what I think. Luckily, it's not money that I need urgently. So it's easy to just let it sit there and see what happens in you know three months, six months, one year, whatever it takes. So I think I'm just going to hold on for dear life. You know, I, I want to keep an eye open and, and see if it's actually going to bounce or if it's, you know, the bubble that's beginning to burst. Dan's holdings are concentrated in two of the more mainstream coins, Bitcoin and Ethereum, and he holds those directly with platforms he trades on. But this adds another layer of risk. Shares in crypto platform Coinbase have plunged 75% this year. Earlier this month, the company said in a regulatory filing that customers' money was not ring-fenced. In other words, should the company go bankrupt, investors could lose their money. Which brings us to what Dan wants to ask the experts. So I would say my first question is, if I hold my cryptos in the app, is it best for me to hold my cryptos in a ledger, uh, you know, an external wallet, as opposed to just leaving it on the platform? And if so, how to go about with that? Dan's other query is a bigger one about how investors should view crypto going forwards. Why are cryptocurrencies treated as equity, as, you know, company shares, as opposed to actual currencies? So back to our experts in the studio, Scott and Ilan. Now, other than a speculative investment, the broader question is, 
what is crypto actually for? Now, Katie Martin, um, our markets editor at the FT, has previously said on this podcast, well, you know, either you use cryptocurrencies to buy some eggs or it's an investment, it's a store of value akin to a digital gold, but it can't be both. Elan, obviously, you come at this from a professional investor's point of view. I mean, that question that, that we heard there from Dan, what is crypto? Is it a currency? Is it an investment, a store of value? How would you approach answering that? Well, um, the last thing I want is to take Katie's uh, words out of context or straw man argument. So I'll just tell you my personal experience sure. is probably, probably more useful in that sense. So um, if you think of a currency like Ethereum, uh, I've been investing in Ethereum on a personal level and, of course, you know, professionally uh, for years now. And um, and I've used it to lend, earn interest, to stake. So clearly it, it works as an investment for me. But there's not a single week that passes that I don't use Ethereum to spend. I use it to buy music, to play games like I would on a PlayStation. I use it to pay transaction fees, gas costs. I use it to buy art. NFTs to be part of clubs. So I'm yet to buy an egg with it, but I probably <laughs> want to save them up to do something else. So my personal experience is different. Uh, and I'd have, I would argue that I both use Ethereum as both uh, investment and consumption. Um, Bitcoin, um, there's no clear evidence that it is a store of value in a traditional sense or as a substitute for digital gold. But what it does seem to be able to do is to provide a decentralized and permissionless way of storing value, even if that value fluctuates, which could be very useful if you're a refugee flying away from somewhere or escaping Russian bombardment and you need to take your wealth, or if the world becomes fully digital and there's no more coins, there's no more paper money, and you want an alternative to put your money underneath the proverbial mattress. Yeah. And Bitcoin could offer that for you, even if it fluctuates. Mm. Now, interesting that you mentioned the money under the mattress. I mean, that's what investors have traditionally done if they want to feel safe. But Dan is now reading in the news about if you keep your uh, crypto assets in an app like Coinbase, it may not be as safe as you think. Now, if people want to protect the crypto that they've still got, Ilan, what are the options for consumers there? So an exchange is versus what uh, the listener said, a hard wallet, which this is something or it can call it cold storage, which is something that stays on chain and it, it's not any, basically not connected to the internet. There are very different trade-offs. Um, the In exchange is a simpler process. It's like buying stocks or, or shares and you see your number there and you see your account and how much money you make. Whereas cold storage, uh, you, you, you have ownership of what we call private keys, which is, I guess the easiest way to think about it is you have your email address and you have your password. Uh, if you, anybody can see your email address, but nobody knows your password, you need to keep your password safe. And if you decide to self custody the crypto outside an exchange, you need to have the password safe. If anybody gets the password or if you lose a password, you lose all your money. So it's not an option for everybody. And now, in fact, even Coinbase has, is developing alternatives of a hybrid system in which you have a semi custodial wallet in which you have actually part of the private key in Coinbase will have the other part, means that if you lose part, they can help you recover, but but they don't have actual access to it. So there are the two spectrums, self-custody, full custody, or now some more hybrid systems, mm. all trade-offs. Well, interesting how the market is, is evolving in, in response to those concerns. Now, Scott, what are the questions that you think investors should be pondering 
about the future of, of crypto? I mean, how could it come back from this crisis? I think it, it comes down to what what I discussed um, just a, a couple of moments ago about, you know, what the role of cryptocurrencies are. I think that that generally will define investor behavior. And I think it will broadly um, define or inform the way that the wider world considers the crypto industry. Uh, but I would say that's the, the, the biggest answer that lies ahead for the crypto industry. It, you know, whenever there's a crypto crash like this, uh, folks will say, don't worry so much about the price, which is absurd for people that have lost their life savings to hear that. Um, but the, the idea has always become focus on the tech, focus on the blockchain and the promise of this industry in terms of its technological innovation. Um, we'll see. Time will tell, which is a cliche that I think journalists always try and avoid. But I think in, in this case, it's quite appropriate. Um, time will tell if this technology you know, bears any real use case that the wider world can can adopt. Um, but again, you know, in terms of where the industry sits in the next, you know, 12 to 18 months, five years and in, into the, you know, intermediate future like that, there, there has to be some real discussion where consensus is finally achieved about what this industry exists for. Well, and of course, focusing on the tech isn't going to pay Sabaya's credit card Definitely bill. Definitely not. Unfortunately. So, some some final thoughts from from both of you before we wrap up in the studio today. For investors who are still holding Luna, what is the future for for Luna? Could it ever come back? Um, I suppose it's it's very hard to predict what happens next in the crypto industry. Um, so I'll 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 hedge what my response of is with, with that. But um, I'd say that you know my biggest takeaway with regard to Luna and Terra USD. Is that you know as as I said before on this podcast, there's been many crypto crashes before. None have quite hit the stablecoin industry like this one, and I think that you know there's a lot of renewed concern about the role of stablecoins and the stability of stablecoins as well. Um, so I think that you know any any crypto ecosystem like the Terra ecosystem, of which obviously Luna is a, a vital cog in that system, um, that employs the technology of algorithmic stable coins, that is to say stable coins that are backed essentially by 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 coding. Um and not, rather than not by, an actual currency. Rather than by, you know, what that fiat backed stable coins are allegedly backed by, you know, dollar based assets basically. Um I think confidence in that technology has been rocked severely. Um and I don't see that changing in the mid to near future. Who knows in the you know, in the long term, years down the line of algorithmic stable coins become something that's very popular for crypto investors again, but I don't think anytime soon there'll be a change of of of, of sentiment with regard to that part of the crypto industry. Mm. And Elan, you would share Scott's sense on this? Yes, uh, I, I would. Uh, and uh, also scare, uh, share this, this cautious uh, prediction of who knows, maybe in the future they'll become popular again. I, I do think that that one of the silver, silver linings of this event is that it will create a very clear distinction between algorithmic and non-algorithmic stablecoins. And we hope that regulators will actually use this to support the part of the industries that are healthier and demand transparency, demand backing backing of these stablecoins that are actually backed by, by real assets and create this distinct, distinction going forward. So the overriding point I'm getting from both of you is never bet more than you can afford to lose. And also, to be diversified in, in in what you're doing. Fine to be interested in crypto. Don't put your life savings into it. 
I would say that uh, also is important to try to change the mindset a little bit from gambling to investing. And that transition really means understanding what you're investing in. And you know, if a listener admits that they're buying something without knowing what's behind it, then that's probably not what he should be buying. Somebody actually recently um, phrased it uh, as, as saying that it, it, it takes a lot of intellectual ca- uh, calories to understand crypto. I think that's absolutely true. I've covered this industry full time for a few years now, and it's, it's, I can certainly attest to the fact that it's immensely complicated. But uh, I also think, you know, given the fact this industry is so complex, there is, I think, a greater onus that should be placed on exchanges and on regulators and other key stakeholders in this industry to ensure that when, when folks are advertising these products, consumer protection, I should say, is at the forefront of their mind. Uh, we've also seen a, a huge uh, sort of explosion, this convergence between crypto ads and sports franchises, not only here in the UK, but also in the States. If anybody who's listening follows the the NFL, the Super Bowl in February was just awash with big crypto exchange ads. Um, and that stuff is quite worrying when you consider it from a consumer protection perspective. A lot of folks are getting exposed to this industry for the first time, and they might not have those intellectual calories yet where they've taken the time to understand the industry and at that point is when they're at their, you know, most vulnerable and it's incumbent not only on the consumers, but those folks who should protect the consumers to actually protect the consumers. I'm talking about the exchanges, the regulators and everybody else that has a say in this industry. Because mm, the know, social media. Absolutely. And, you know, at some point we've mentioned as well a lot of, um, you know, YouTube videos where we, we've probably all seen them where there's a thumbnail of the host of the video has got this like shocked expression and there's a, you know, the title might be, you know, Bitcoin's going to 100,000 or whatever. To the moon! Yeah, to the moon and all that. So that stuff entices folks and people that are not, you know, financially savvy or crypto savvy because, you know, why would someone necessarily be informed on this? There's a huge responsibility, I think, um, that, that falls on the industry and the folks that should be regulating the industry to make sure that these folks are also protected from their side. Well said. Thank you both very much for joining me in the studio today. Pleasure. Thank you. That's it from this week's Money Clinic. Before we go, if you do want to find out more about exactly what's gone wrong in crypto markets and understand how it all works, then listen out for the FT's Behind the Money podcast series. It kicks off again on Wednesday this week, and the first couple of episodes will be all about what went wrong for stablecoins and the people behind some of the biggest cryptocurrencies out there. Also, if you're struggling with your losses, then I've put some links in the show notes of organisations that you can turn to for help. And if you would like to chat with me on a future episode of the show, get in touch. You can email me. Our address is money at ft.com or DM me on Twitter, Instagram or TikTok. I'm at Claire B. Money Clinic was produced and edited in London by Persis Love. Our executive producer is Manuela Saragosa. Our sound engineer is Breen Turner. And the original music is by Metaphor Music. And finally, the Money Clinic podcast is a general discussion around financial topics and does not constitute an investment recommendation or individual financial advice. For that, you'll need to find an independent financial advisor. That's the small print over and done with. See you back here soon. Goodbye. Hold up. 
Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.